Hello, I'm Chris Biddle and welcome to episode 25 of Inside AgriTurf. Yes, uh, thank you for joining me. Now, could this be the year of the independence? A time when specialist retailers could really make a lasting impression on consumers. During the last few months, we have witnessed an extraordinary decimation of the high street. The closure of so many well-known stores has left town centres across the land looking in a very sorry state. Store brands have been sold, with most buyers making it clear that bricks and mortar outlets are not for them. So how might this impact on smaller independent retailers, most of whom, in the garden care business at least, have never been part of what we call the high street? How should they react? What do they need to do to poke their head firmly above the retail parapet? We're all consumers. We are picky, we are selective, and we don't like being taken for a ride. But we do like to browse, we enjoy the personal touch, and being in an environment in which we feel at ease. So, to try and help me make sense of some of the opportunities and the pitfalls for specialists in this new age of retailing, I'm delighted today to be joined by Murray Burton. Murray has spent a lifetime planning retail and merchandising layouts for big stores, but also for lawn and garden machinery dealerships, as you will hear. Regretfully, at the moment, many showrooms are out of bounds as a result of lockdown. But season approaches, and this should be a time to reappraise our approach and consider how best to capitalise on a renewed interest in the independent sector once restrictions are lifted. So Murray, welcome, and, and perhaps you could give me an insight into your background. Well, as long as I can remember, I've always had a hammer in my hand, sort of you know, standing in my father's workshop and uh, sort of helping him out. And uh, as I say, it was a natural progression for me to sort of move on to uh, the shop fitting business that he owned. And uh, I did that and I moved on into the technical side of the business. Uh, we were working for people like Next and, and multiple retailers like Leonard's, Leonard's Shoes, the old British Shoe Corporation. Mm-hmm. So that was back in the 80s when I sort of formally started my career with him and then progressed on to sort of design agencies and became a technical specialist and project manager for them, uh, dealing with people like Nokia, running global global rollouts. Spout spent 20-odd years in China and sort of sourcing and manufacturing out there. So yeah, I mean it's it's a full gambit, you know, from the from the independent individual stores right through to the multinational and international uh, providers. And I think of interest to our listeners is that you have worked uh, and do work with still on some of their merchandising. Very progressive in their uh, in their approach to the retail environment. Actually, uh, they 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 come up with some very very good ideas, and it's it's good to work with them. Yeah. So looking at the general situation, then Murray, you know, it, it won't have gone unnoticed uh, the absolute decimation of some big brands in retail, uh, and I guess a lot of that, a lot of their troubles predates COVID. Um, and so. Uh, really, has has COVID has the last few months hastened the demise of them? Or and and what do you think that tells us about long term changes in the way consumers buy? I think I think it was creaking beforehand, quite as as you said earlier on. You know, um, there, there were retailers that were very proactive in sort of you know looking at the changing market, and there was others that hope were hoping they could hang on for a little bit longer, and clearly they they couldn't. COVID is definitely accelerated it but i don't think it was unexpected either yeah i mean we've seen the demise of some really well-known 
uh, names. And of course, that's yeah. left great big chunks of empty property in so many town centres. Uh, yeah. I'm in Salisbury, which is a smallish city, uh, but we got a dirty great big Debenhams that is empty now, and British home stores, and yeah. so on, and that's replicated. Well, what do you think is going to be the future for those properties? If I'm honest with you, I, I don't think we're going to see the likes of them again. No. Um, take, take for example, Debenhams. Sad to see them go, but you know, you look at the opportunities that arise. Like next, for example, what they've done in several of the Debenham stores, they've actually taken on the fragrance halls and the cosmetic halls, Yes, rebranded them as Next Cosmetic Halls, uh, but they don't want the rest of the store. So, for example, in Leicester, which is one of the, you know, obviously Next based Leicester, but they took the Debenham store on in the, uh, in the shopping centre and has rebranded the cosmetic halls. So, you know, I think it's going to be, they're going to break them up, repurpose the space. It depends on how we take a view of what we want to do with our town centres and cities. They are changing. Yes. Do you think they will become more residential? I think so, yes. I think there'll be a, a programme of repopulation within cities and large towns because it's the only way that you can sort of actually sort of make use of the space because retail space now is less in demand. Um, and do you think with some of these spaces, <laughs> interestingly, uh, one, uh, the, the ex-British home stores in, Sal- in Salisbury was used as a vaccination centre, not not actually for the current vaccination, but for flu jabs that was taken over mm-hmm. by the lo- local thing. But do you think you might see some pop-up stores making use of those spaces? I think it has happened in certain places in order to promote seasonal goods. Well, I think landlords are going to have to be uh, have to change their policy and become more flexible in how they use and rent the available space. You know, gone are the days of sort of upward only contracts and and leases. You know, they they just can't survive with with doing that now. So they have to be more flexible. You know, short term leases, uh, use of use of their stores for pop ups and things like that. You know, so yeah, they they've really got to sit down and, and have a good hard think about how they want to sort of make the money. So I think you said before, Murray, that uh, the department store as we know it, and I suppose it all started with Woolworths really, is that an outdated retail model, do you think? Amazon's effectively a department store. It's yes. just a vast one. Uh, and it's it's online. I don't I think people want to browse, but I think in terms of there's so many specialists out there now and the retail public is so more discerning nowadays that I think to a certain extent, it probably is an outdated one. It's been going on for a long time. You know, the classic Fraser's, House of Fraser, Debenhams, Woolworths, you know, they were great at the time because that was the only source, the only place that people could go to to actually look at a variety of things. Now we've got, online presence you know people can just sit there and just browse through specialists they don't have to go to a department store they can just go to wherever they want and you know, find out locate it doesn't matter whether it's online or whether it's just a case of i know that store i know where to go to buy that the power is in with in the in the people's hands now yeah i'm, I'm sure you're right uh one, one extraordinary word that uh, has cropped up in conversations even in the industry that uh, i'm involved in we're, we're aiming this podcast at is this word disintermediation if i've said it right disintermediation which effectively means cutting out the middleman yeah. um 
Now, uh, there is a lot of concern amongst retailers that some uh, manufacturers and suppliers might take that route. I mean, obviously, the likes of Apple have and, and, and uh, people like Dyson and, and uh, GMAC and one or two others. Um, do you yeah. see that as being a growing trend? I think it depends on the size of the, of the brand that's doing it. I, I, I think, you know, it's going to be a blend. Uh, yeah. if, if you look, for example, um, Apple, take, take Apple as an example, you go and buy an iPad in Apple, and the first thing that they will do is they will check on the internet to find if you can get it for a better price because they'll price match their own product. So, you know, they are competing with themselves to a certain extent. It just depends on what it is. It's very difficult, you know, as, as a clothing brand, you know, it's much easier for a brand to go to recognized um, retailers, whether it be online or physical, and and distribute, not worry about the end product and the selling of the end product. So yeah. it, it kind of depends on if it's fast-moving well, goods, whether it's, you know, considered purchases and things like that. Sure. Well, I mean, the, the recent example of, of, of the likes of Boohoo buying up all these brands, I mean, I think Absolutely. they will openly admit that uh, their products are not meant to last and they certainly don't need servicing, um, yeah. which are obviously a lot... Taken off, taken the other half as well. So. Yes, absolutely. Um, which, which kind of brings us on to the place of the... Uh, my audience, particularly the dealers, and uh, I wish actually we could find another word for dealer. It always makes me feel rather uncomfortable. Uh, they are, at the end of the day, retailers, and um, and 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 so on. And I suppose their biggest uh, rival, if you like, in recent years, have been the DIY. Uh, superstores yeah. and uh, and actually funnily enough murray I, I i've always put this into three distinct ages over the last uh 50 or 60 years uh age one which was from the 1960s to probably the 1980s uh, and all the hardware stores and the guard machinery dealers and the ironmongers really had all the market to themselves um as we we moved into the 1980s and if you take age two has been 1980s to the 2000s in late 1969 i think it was uh, mr block and mr quail met each other and and formed a hardware store in southampton uh forming b and q of course and uh, by by the end of i think 1979 they had 26 stores following decade they were they were acquired by kingfisher and later on merged with castorama french france's uh, mm-hmm. yeah. group uh, they offered, of course, so much more that the independents couldn't. They were open seven days a week, huge advertising bus- budgets for press and TV, car parking, buying power, of course, uh, and they became destination stores. Um, and they were able to control the market. And one, if I might just say very quickly, one particular instance happened in 1992 when B&Q suddenly uh, introduced a petrol lawnmower at £100, which was roughly 50% of the perceived price of a petrol yeah. lawnmower previously of, of about £200. I mean, yeah. no matter if it was absolute rubbish, the, <laughs> the, 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 the point was that it that it 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 was advertised as a petrol lawnmower and it immediately drops yeah. people's expectation of the price point for yeah. such a such a product. And if we just it quickly move on to the next 20 years from 2000 onwards. And remember, there's no internet there, neither was there. No, um, no. We then moved into the internet age. And as, to my mind, this gave um, the independence a much level, much more level 
playing field uh, because they were able to use social media. Uh, and indeed, they were slow to uptake on it. But now a lot of them are, are using it very effectively. So really, from your standpoint, Murray, do, do you see a an increased appetite uh, for consumers to buy from independents? I, I, I think there's, there's, there's definitely an appetite for it. I, I, I believe that, you know, specialists now with the advent of technology, accessibility of the webs, you know, of, of allowing them to sort of, you know, show their wares effectively to a wider, a wider, you know, audience. I think specialists are definitely on the ascent. There's always going to be a place for B&Q and Homebase and all of the other sort of, you know, warehouses, you know, that they are, they're great places to go. You know, if you, if you want to sort of go and gather your, your bits and bobs for your Sunday sort of DIY, then that's perfect, you know. Yes. Um, but, you know, I think we've got a far more informed uh, retail um, consumer now. Yes. And, and that's the key thing. And that's where the specialists will win. But but even with the likes of B&Q, they, they are evolving. Um, it would mm. seem that their purchase of Screwfix has... Um, yeah has really worked and, and has given them a, yeah. a, a slightly different dimension. And why do you think that was? Well, it, it's that blend of, of, of trade and retail. Um, what it is, is, you know, again, Screwfix were very successful because they had, they gave you, they gave you a, you know, a, a catalogue. You could get your catalogue, you could read through it. I mean, pre, you know, pre stores, you know, it was an online, it was online, you, you ordered from the catalogue, it got delivered to your door. And, and that's how it was. Um, what, what I think B&Q was successful in doing is, is taking that model and putting it into a retail environment. So, you know, you could go and buy your screws and so on and so forth, get it all pre-ordered, turn up at screw fix and collect your goods and off you go. Um, I think it's been, just been a very good blend of allowing people to feel comfortable in a specialist environment. Yeah. And of course, if you walked into a B&Q store, you took it by luck that you found somebody who knew what they were talking about yeah. in terms of any specific product. Um, whereas Screwfix, I, I, I sense, ha have many more specialists. Um, and so certainly that's my experience of, of ever going into there. What you've got is you've got a one-to-one. -one. You know, you, you in a Screwfix, you've got, you know, you're, 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 you're greeted, you're met with somebody, you speak to them and say, look, I've got this problem, you know, let's, okay, so let's have a look through the catalogue, see what we've got, and so on and so forth. Whereas you go into a B&Q store, and as you quite rightly say, there's a lot of people there that are busy doing other things, and, yeah. you know, they're not standing waiting for you to ask them a question. You know, they've got other things to do. So it's the communication, isn't it? It's the face-to-face yeah. -face communication, and that's what human beings like. Uh, well, exactly, which kind of brings us right neatly to the, the, the place of the, the specialists, the independents. Yeah. And uh, as we Absolutely. said earlier, you've done some work with Still in, 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 in their merchandising. Is there a fear factor for some consumers walking into an unfamiliar store uh, where they, they probably, they might know something about it, but they don't know everything? And, and how do you think the store ought to make the consumers feel best at home murray well I, I think it's the fear of the unknown no nobody wants to sort of go in and feel embarrassed and feel intimidated that's why it's bad and this and this is the barrier that i think especially if they can break that down specialists are the best place to go yeah you know why do you go to being here for your plumbing equipment when you really you could go to the plumb center for example who's got specialists there 
who will tell you exactly how to do it and what to do. It's the fear of being patronised. It's the fear of, you know, being embarrassed and so on and so forth. You know, so from my point of view, the way specialists can really help themselves, in part, that allows their knowledge to be used and share it with people, whether that be good website, um, good online presence that says, you know, we're welcoming, we want to help you. We, um, and that's, that's the key thing is empower the consumer to come into your store by knowing that, you know, you're, you're going to help them and you're not going to patronise them and, and, and embarrass them, basically. Yeah. And obviously a lot of independents work on a uh, limited staff um, yeah. and, and, and can't always get to people. And, and, and indeed, Many, many people going into independent actually do prefer to browse um, yeah. and, and gradually get a feel for the showroom and the products yeah. and so on. So so what what is the best use of, of information you're providing with them? Is it is it price tickets and product details on the on the uh, on the products? Uh, obviously, that people are making use of videos in the in showroom and so on. Well, I, th- I think it's, it's the bad information of the product. I mean, you know, that, that's the key thing. You know, if, if, if they've walked into a specialist store, you know, that they're open to buy. They're ready. They're ready to purchase. So, you know, yeah. they want to know how am I going to, you know, make best use of the money that I've got and what is going to be the best product for me to, you know, to make my garden better or whatever it be, you know, is... Murray, the, the one selling point, the USP, if, if, if we use that phrase, uh, for specialists, is is the service that they provide. Um, yeah. and, and often that's intangible. You can't actually sort of sell you, I'll, I'll sell you a service. Well, you can. You can sell them a service, a contract, and so on bigger machines mm. and so on. But it is service. How do you, how do you promote that in store? Um, can it be done visually, do you think? Can I mean so let's let's go back if I may to 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 you know we talk we talk about uh, department stores and the demise of department stores the one the one that has survived the best has always been John John Lewis because they have so they it's their service they want to help you they need you know they they that's the first priority is you you know you're the most important thing to them and you know they will help you in any way they can to get what you want and what you need. Yeah. Uh, so for me, it's that specialist commitment is yeah. It's, it's it's about personal service. It's about making making that consumer feel that they they've come to the right place. They've got yeah. the right people in front of them. You know, and and they feel that you know they are they're important. Of course, if you're a small retailer, you don't have the kind of uh, backup. You don't have an HR department and you don't have a merchandising department. Uh, and yeah. you may well have uh, a supplier that, uh, as you say, like Steel, who, who do provide some advice um, on merchandising and so on. But do enough small retailers look as dispassionately at their store as they should do? I don't think they do. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's how, how can you get caught into a pint pot sometimes? Some some are very good at it, some some aren't, you know. I mean, it depends on which way they're looking at it. Are they looking at it from their eyes, I need to get as much stock into the place as possible? Or are they looking at it from a consumer's point of view, going, actually, I want to feel a lit that I can breathe in this space. And, it's, you know, it's it's not turned into a storage uh, warehouse. You know, it's a it's a retail environment, you know. And and of course, many of them have uh, space is a is a premium, and and lawnmowers, for instance, are not the easiest 
product to display. Uh, we often hear no. the phrase in, in our industry, you walk in and you see a sea of handles. Um, yeah. So if you are limited for space, is it better to be highly selective and, and, and really only show enough products that people can walk around and touch and feel and goodness knows what? Or, or, or do you cram the showroom with as much product as you possibly can, do you think? It's less is more. I mean, that's the way I look at it. You know, you, you take a car showroom, for example, you know, they, they, they don't fill their showroom with, with every variant of, of a model of vehicle. You know what they'll do is they'll go look. This is my this is this is the mid price one, and there's a nicer quality one there. But in between, there's a, there, there are variants. From my point of view, I would be more inclined to sort of you know select your your, your best sellers and select you know really something that's really nice and new and special. But also make sure that you've got the information that you know these aren't the only ones. There are other things as well. You know there are different variants for different needs. You know so. Yeah. I just feel that you know it's a brave it's a brave retailer that that does it, but it does work. Uh, and 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 obviously there is a danger if you put too much product out. I guess that uh, you only serve to confuse. Um, yeah. And and obviously with a limited display that can lead on to other recommendations, which presumably they've got in stock and so on. Yeah. If you've been into a, 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 a specialist retailer, are there any sort of particular mistakes you see uh, them make that they could easily rectify, Murray? I think it's coordination. You know, I mean, what, you, you've got you've got um, brands buying for your space in your store, and you know, they will offer you lots of free things and this. That. It's, it's about sort of trying to create your own personality. I think that's the key thing is, you know, you've got to remember, yes, you're selling these products, but, you know, you've got to impose your personality as a specialist onto your environment as well. So, you know, you can't just sort of put everything together and hope that it works. You have got to look at your space and go, what am I trying to, what am I trying to do here? Am I trying to sell brands? Am I trying to, you know, make myself be the expert that knows about all these brands? It is about, you know, imposing your personality on your own environment. Yeah, and, and, and remembering that um, most, well, pretty well all retailers in this in this industry are multi-franchise, so they're handling lots yeah. of brands as yeah. opposed to uh, a car retailer, which is single brand and, and, and yeah. so on. And it is also their name above the door as opposed Absolutely. to the, the, the brand itself. So yeah. it, it is this... Um, exerting your own personality is a good, I think it's a good phrase, really. Really, people do like to uh, touch and feel the products, uh, even though pushing it along a carpeted floor or, or, or a hard floor might not completely replicate mowing the lawn. Well, yeah. But should they allow the, the customers to get um, up close and personal with the products? Yeah, you know, you've got you've got to you've got a feeling you've got to you know, it's got to be tangible. You know, you you can't put it into a behind a glass case and go look at this and we'll sell it to you. Um, I mean, what just go back to what still do? I mean, still are very very good, and it's not always practical. I appreciate it, but you know, they've they've got some great demo units that are that you know allow people to use you know, to to demo an electric chainsaw, for example. But it's it's enclosed in an environment where you know it's, it's completely safe. But it allows somebody to cut a piece of wood with with, with a chainsaw in, in a safe environment. You know they're not wielding it around the store. It's it's in an enclosed space. 
But again, that's not necessarily always practical for the small retailer. Yeah. But you know, as I say, it's yeah. I think you've got to you've got to touch the product. You've got to feel it. And, you know, you've got to sort of go. Well, why is this more expensive than my you know the the, the Chinese import that's you know two thirds of the price? Well, yeah. you know, it's because it's quality is meant to last. You yes. buy it once. You don't buy it every year. So Murray, if if you were to walk into a, an unfamiliar store, what what would you like to see first? What 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 would make you feel at home? Well, I think one of the great things that um, people it's got to be welcoming. Don't don't inhibit the opportunity to browse. You know that's the key thing. Is if people walk over the threshold of your specialist store, they're in they're in buying mode. They're not, yes. you know, they don't need to be sold to. They're in buying mode. They want to buy something, you know. They're, they, they're not sheltering for the rain, are they? They haven't sort of... Absolutely not, no. So, you know, as a specialist, you know, you, you've got to allow them to sort of come to you and go, hey, you know what? I'm really interested in this mower, strimmer, whatever. Can you tell me a little bit about it? So on and so forth, you know, rather than somebody jumping on them and going, can we help you? Please, you know, sell, let me sell you something because they, they don't want to be sold to. Uh, and, and you say make them feel welcome and make them feel comfortable. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, on that uh, particular topic, uh, one of my favourite tricks of the trade that uh, a dealer showed me many years ago, and I've never forgotten it, is that with uh, small garden tractors, he had them displayed down the centre of the uh, showroom, and one was facing one way, and the the next one was facing the other way so the bonnet was facing the other way and so on right down the row and i said well, why you know why don't you face them all the same way oh he said it's easy he said I, I asked them to sit in the seat of the tractor and i sit in the one next door so actually we're having a very natural conversation mm-hmm. a- across the bonnet rather than yeah. sitting on the seat and we're crick cricking our neck left or right yeah. uncomfortably uh, <laughs> but then as long as I can keep them in the seat for the longest possible time, I so increase my chances of selling them that product. Absolutely, yes. You know, it's about creating trust. Yes. You know, yeah. That's the key thing. Is is, I mean, the the, class, the classic one for all stores is is create a create a route map. You know, to guide people through. So you know, you've got to allow them space to get into the store first. Yes. So they can go right. Which way am I going to go? You know, if if, if if you're sort of crammed to the front door, you know, people aren't going to want to come in. Yes, no, that that's right. Um, so, Murray, look, many thanks for, for joining me today. That, 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 that's some excellent to get a, get a feel for this, this topic. We've all heard the phrase, uh, you never get a second chance to make a first impression, which I think is still as powerful a, a phrase as you can use, particularly with uh, stores that are generally unknown by the general public. But um, yeah. is there a sort of first rule of thumb that you've, uh, you adopt in, in advising stores? Yeah, be welcoming. Be welcoming. Don't, go back to what I said earlier, you know, don't inhibit the opportunity to browse, you know. They don't need the hard sell. You know, allow people to breathe and then they, you know, and they'll, 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 once they're comfortable in that environment, you know, you've got them. Yes. And they're there. They, they, they want to, people don't like to be sold to, they want to buy. Yeah.
I understand. Well, look, Murray, many, many thanks. I've, I've really enjoyed our, our chat today, and, and, and I hope there are some, and I'm sure there are some useful tips for, for retailers of whatever size uh, they are. Uh, so can I, can I thank you uh, for your time today? No, thank you. I've, I've really enjoyed it. I've, uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. So there you are. Points to ponder, I hope. There is no one-size-fits-all approach because, thankfully, every business is unique. It has its own characteristics, its own identity. The trick, says Murray, is to work out how best to portray that which makes your business stand out from the crowd. How to make customers feel welcome with a friendly face and a willingness to listen. All of which are designed to put the customers, particularly new customers, at their ease. So thank you for joining me. I'm Chris Biddle and this is Inside Agriturf.